Vacation alert from the three-row Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Mama and Papa want to go hiking. Los abuelos want to relax at the beach. And the kids want to go to the amusement park. With seating for up to seven, you and your loved ones can enjoy all these adventures and more. Jeep, there's only one. Visit jeep.com to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Micah Richards and Alan Shearer. On today's episode, we have a special guest. Uh, As we are close to the transfer window, we thought we would get an agent in, but not any old football agent but a very old football agent. Uh, One of the first ever to ply his trade and someone who has been a huge part of my life for 45 years, my agent, John Holmes. He's looked after Peter Schilt and Tony Woodcock, John Barnes and numerous others, as well as big stars from other sports. He's been the chairman of Leicester City, uh, been involved in the administration of sport. He's also got his own podcast, one of my very favourites, actually. Uh, It's called Football Ruined My Life with John, Paddy Barclay and Colin Schindler and it's a pod that looks at football when it didn't exist. A bygone pre-Premier League era. I highly recommend it, um, particularly those of a, um, a certain age um, who like to reminisce and, and also for young people that like to know about old football and there are a lot of people uh, like that. Um, good morning, John. Welcome. Good morning. This is a first for us. We've 45 years together and I'm, yes. I'm, 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 I'm interviewing you. This is a bit weird, but Mike and Alan will, will, will jump in as well. Start by telling us how did you get involved in being an agent, particularly back then, because it wasn't really a thing. No, people thought I was completely balmy. I was a big fan of Arnold Palmer and I learned a bit about Arnold Palmer and how he sort of took golf from being uh, a minority sport of the uh, English-speaking nations around the world. And uh, that was the master plan of a man called Mark McCormack, who virtually invented the idea of an agent. He virtually invented worldwide the idea that sportsmen could be uh, exploited and grown into a brand. Arnold Palmer became a brand. And I thought... This sounds a lot better than working to me. I think I'll have a go at this. So I convinced a businessman in Leicester that this was a really good idea and he should back me. And he said, OK, I'll teach you about money and uh, investing money as a sort of sideline and you try and make a business out of this. And that's how it started. How do you get a player? How did you get your first client? 
That was a person called Peter Shilton, I as know. you probably know. Wasn't a bad one to have, was it, a first one? It wasn't. Bless him. Wonderful bloke. If I do ascend to the pearly gates and anyone, and you know, St. Peter comes out and says, well, what have you done? I say, I looked after Shilts for 21 <laughs> years and kept him out the course most of the time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think that was pretty good. He was a challenge, but of course, Peter was and remains one of my favourite people. He was a fantastic goalkeeper. Whatever anybody tells you about modern goalkeepers, Schultz was an extraordinary goalkeeper. He made saves that I've never seen anyone else. He won games. Brian Clough used to say he was the difference between a 1-0 defeat and a 1-0 victory. He started and then I got someone who Gary and I both know called David Gower, who I've been looking after reasonably eventfully uh, for more than 40 years. And then, then, of course, famously, this young lad wandered into my office with a minder, didn't say a lot, just grunted a bit and smiled a bit and sort of went, OK, yeah, mm, yeah. And that was someone you know quite well, Gary, really. Yeah, me, yeah, me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as they say... I was shy, John, I was shy. <laughs> he was shy. He was a very, very shy chap with no controversial opinions at all, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> no, he never caused any political waves. And um, I don't think, I, I mean, he thought the only parties worth going to were party, you know, political parties weren't into it. He's more interested in other kinds of parties, but there we are. <laughs> I think you're confusing me for Micah. <laughs> <laughs> John, if I could take you back, you mentioned looking after Gary from a young age, but have you seen a difference within his character going from footballer to broadcaster? Has he become more confident or has he always been a shy type of guy? <laughs> Spill the beans. Be nice, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, yes, he was shy. And the one thing, he was a pretty rubbish footballer, Micah. The, the, <laughs> I can remember, I watched his first game. It was a freezing New Year's Day at Leicester. Mm. He played on the right wing. He spent the first half hour falling over. I <laughs> And I said to my father, he's bloody hopeless. Where the hell have we got him? <laughs> you, you ever tried carrying those ears around? You'd fall over as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but the thing was with Gary Micah that he did, he was actually quite a good learner. And I did notice that if you said something to him or he met someone who clearly knew something about something, what you'd find was... About two hours later, he was quoting what the person had told him as though it was him that had thought of it. So he was a very quick learner. Still do that. that respect. <laughs> <laughs> and we did have this conversation quite famously. I can actually remember where it was. It was in the pub at Great Glen, Gary. And mm. I said to you one day, what would you have done if you hadn't been a footballer? And because I knew he was a bit of a smart ass, he just said, I'd have been a cricketer. Typical. So but true. <laughs> I said, okay, what if I've broken both your legs? And he said, well, I'd like to have been a journalist, sports journalist, but I can't do that now. So I said, why? So he said, because I've not got the training. And I said, well, listen, I've been a journalist. The only training is the training you're given first day, how to fiddle your expenses. That's it. Don't worry <laughs> about it. You can, you can ask any journalist of uh, my sort of age. That's what they were taught. So... And we sort of devised a bit of a plan, didn't we, Gary? We said, you know, when you're a 
sportsman, you get loads of opportunities to be interviewed, take every one and listen to them and watch them back. See what, you know, you'll know, was that good? Was that bad? Was that funny? Was that not funny? Was uh, that answer too long and all that sort of thing? So we did that. And um, much to his chagrin, I said, you must write stuff down and so on. I can't write. Yes, you can. You can talk. You can write. Write it down. Read better stuff. Read stuff that challenges you a bit. You'll expand your language. You'll do all sorts of things. And actually, you know, it's amazing what you can learn. So Gary's development as a as a broadcaster, apparently he's blushing now, is due to the fact that he's always sought improvement and so on. Therefore, he's got more interested in things like politics and other issues, you know, world governance of football uh, and so on, that uh, other players perhaps haven't been encouraged to do or have not that they're not capable of doing that. Of course, they're capable of doing that. Yeah, that's that's enough about me, John. Let's ask Mike and Alan what they think about me. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a bit about what you, you've got some amazing stories from way back, um, particularly around yes. Peter Shilton and, and, and yes. Brian Clough. You, you've got to tell us about your, your relationship. You, I know you like this one. I do. There are one or two, but the great moment with Clough, I'd never met Clough before. Uh, Peter signed for Nottingham Forest and um, Peter uh, had to leave Stoke uh, because Stoke got relegated. Their stand blew down and they were bust. And uh, Forest had just got promoted. Clough, we'd always known, fancied signing Schultz. And uh, so one Friday night in about uh, early September 1977, I think it was, I got summoned down to the city ground with Peter to meet Brian Clough with the views of signing. You were very young at the time, John, weren't you? It was for an age. I was, it- uh, I was very young, yes. I was 22, I was 27, yeah. So there was Clough, this uh, sort of, he was already, you know, he was, a, he was a figure. He'd been on TV, he'd been on Parkinson's show. He'd done lots of things. And um, so we went in and Peter Taylor, who was his assistant, was there. He was desperate to sign Schultz. He idolised Schultz, if truth be known. And we waited there for half an hour. Uh, no, no Clough. Um, Taylor, who was getting increasingly agitated, he'll be coming, he'll be coming, he'll be here, he'll be here. Uh, and uh, went to about 45 minutes and um, Schiltz was getting a little bit uh, agitated. And I thought, you know, we don't need to wait much longer. Otherwise we're looking fools here, desperate to sign. So I said to Peter Taylor, we're, you know, if he doesn't come soon, you know, let's face it, the manager doesn't want him. We're going to go, Peter. Oh, oh no, he's coming, he's coming. Anyway, about two or three mi- minutes later, mysteriously, after Taylor went outside, I suspect Clough had been in the next room the whole time, probably <laughs> watching. Uh, Clough emerges, walks into the room, walks straight up and kicks me. You've got something in common with Alan Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did, he did the same. So he just kicked me. So who are you? <laughs> Schiltz says, this is John. John's looking after me. Oh, right. John's going to do the wages and sort that sort of stuff out. So then he looked straight at me and said, listen, young man, you've made one come go bust. You're not going to do it to Nottingham Forest. 
<laughs> so I said, no, no, I'm afraid Peter is on his wages. And uh, there was an inflation clause and it wasn't my fault that inflation was 20% the next year and his wages have gone up and he's on a lot of money. Neither was it my fault that their stand fell down and they'd forgotten to insure it. But there you are. <laughs> Clough then went out of the room uh, and then emerged with a, su- a plastic supermarket bag full of a lot of £20 notes <laughs> and said, this is a tax-free payment. So I said, um, yeah, well, not uh, not completely. So, so anyway, I was called a financial virgin. There was all sorts of uh, uh, discussions going on. It was very funny. Then, after a, sort of two hours of this comedy routine and so on, where we'd not got very far on the money or the nature of what was a tax-free payment or whatever, and then he said, outside. So... I went outside. I had no idea what was going to happen. So we walked outside. You go into the car park. It's a Friday night, city ground. There's no one there. You know, these days there'd be press all over the place and fans and all the but there's no one there. And so we walk around the ground So and he's got a squash racket in his hand. So he goes, right, what do you want? So I said, Peter's got to have this deal. You know, we've got to get somewhere near it. I said, I know you can't do the whole lot, and it's one, but he really would like to play with you, but you've got to make this proper competition, not a massacre. You know, it's got to be got to be right. He's keen to play for you. We think Forrest could do well. So, so. What do you get? You misunderstand me. I said, what do you want? So I said, that's what I want. Who pays you? So I said, Peter does. Right, inside. So then we go inside. I thought at that point he's probably going to hit me or something. But anyway, we went inside. The deal's off. And we went away. And then that was Friday night. Then Saturday afternoon, I played golf or something. And curiously, then Clough announced that he signed Peter Schultz. And I thought, oh, what have you done, Schultz? You've gone and signed something. I rang Schultz up, said, Schultz, have you signed for Forrest? He said, no, no, John. No, no, I wouldn't do that. No. No, he's, he was good liar. Peter knew how to, he wasn't going to cave in or fall into. He's pretty determined. And that was just one of Clough's gimmicks. He would say this. He did the same thing with Ian Story Moore, if you remember. Paraded him on the pitch at Derby, told everyone he'd signed him, and he hadn't. He signed for Man United. Poor old Ian, Ian Story Moore. He didn't know who the hell he'd signed for. That was Clough. Brilliant. John, I'm just saying about the, how the game has changed massively. I mean, whether you talk about on the pitch, whether you talk about health, off it, everything. How's, how's your business changed from when you started to what it is now? The good thing about what went on then or the way I tried to do it was I always encouraged the player to be in on the negotiation because I thought it was a learning thing. Yeah. Gary, you remember we went Everton. to Everton. Tell, tell them about what happened to Everton. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the great thing, if you, this is just negotiating. You know, footballers, pathetically, they told them how much they were going to earn a week, not how much a year. You know, if you went for a proper job in those days, they told you well, your salary will be 18,000 a year or something, or 20,000 a year. You went to a football club, you'll get 100 quid a week, son, or whatever it was. So it was. It was a different way. So I would always talk in terms of years or whatever. And if they would talk one way, I'd be swapping it round. And we went up to Everton and there was, um, Howard was in there. Okay, no, uh, yeah. Doing the negotiations. Great bloke, but not really 
Howard had never been trained in doing negotiations, and Jim Greenwood, the secretary. Anyway, then I started, as, as Gary recalled, we were fiddling about between weeks and months and all that and signing on fees and this bit and that bit. And I said to Gary, they've no idea what I'm saying now. I've confused them sufficiently. We'll get an offer. But whatever you do, don't accept, don't accept it. Anyway, we went back in and they made an offer, which was actually quite a bit more than we'd originally asked for. So I said, right, OK, well, that's interesting. Can we have another break? And hoping that to hell that Gary wasn't going to blurt in by saying we didn't ask for that. I was, I was and, nudging your knee under the table. Yes, you were. <laughs> and I was just trying to not. <laughs> so we went outside and he said, that's more. That's more than you asked them for, isn't it? I said, yes. And you did absolutely correctly. We will go in now and say, yes, but if you do something a little bit extra. So you, yeah, there were techniques and so on that you could use. And you weren't negotiating then against people who knew much about business. John, one question before we, we take a, a little breather. The agency world has changed and, and, and obviously transfers have changed dramatically now. And, and I've, I've heard you talk about it um, frequently in the sense that agents now don't just represent the player in a deal. They can actually represent the selling club and the buying club at the same time, which opens it up to all sorts of shenanigans, doesn't it? Correct. I think it's completely wrong, Gary. In which case, who are they really representing? It's completely wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've just tried to make the point that in our days, we would do a deal. I would pay you. Yes. I, the footballer yes. would pay the agent. Now, yes. the clubs, both the selling both club and the buying club do it, and the player probably, I don't know. It's How do you change that? The amount that goes out of the game to agents that clubs pay, how many scouts could you employ for the amount of money that goes out to these people? It's... Extraordinary. And players have been conned for a long time by the agent saying to them, he's saying, uh, how do you get paid? And he said, oh, no, don't worry about that, son. The club will pay you. And he thought, oh, that's good because it's not costing me anything. Well, if you think it through, who is the agent then representing? The agent's representing the club. And I think what has developed now is that the big agents mostly are almost retainers from big clubs. They will go to a player at one of the clubs who's not so big and say to that player, I can get you to Man United or I can get you to Liverpool or whatever. Now, actually, the truth is, if you're a good enough player, you can get there anyway. You don't need the agent. Uh, what you need is someone to work out whether that's necessarily the right move for you and get the right package out of that club, which is not in the buying club's interest. Therefore, if you've got somebody acting on both sides, who is he really acting for? You know, the club will say to him, we'll buy him, but you need to convince him that uh, that's the maximum we'll pay. Really? That's not acting in the player's behalf, is it? No. Okay, let's um, take a breather. When we come back, um, we'll, we'll come round to perhaps the um, administration of the game and, and, and how it's run nowadays and uh, club ownership, um, which will be fascinating as well. Um, let's take a breather. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favourite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Take something iconic like the all-electric 2024 Fiat 500e. 
Add something eléctrica. Bring the swagger. And an Italian icon is remixed and ready to drop with its available premium JBL audio system. Tap the banner to learn more. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA, used under license by FCA US LLC. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Micah Richards, uh, Alan Shearer, and today... Um my agent of 45 years. Yes, 45 years. John Holmes. John, let's go back to, what was it, year about 2000. Um, Leicester City went into to administration. Um, it looked like they were going to go to the wall. Um, I remember getting a call from you saying we've got to do something. And um, we managed to get enough people together with just about enough money to get us out of administration. And, and you became chairman of Leicester City Football Club. And quite a successful chairman, actually. Most successful ever on ratio. <laughs> you were very short. It was a fairly short. Very short-lived. Yeah, yeah, only right. lost one game. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that must be very different because you suddenly get into the administrative side of, mm. of, of football. But um, it, it was an interesting time. Yeah, it was an interesting time. I, I mean, I absolutely it wasn't what I wanted to do. I think talk to a lot of fans and they would say, oh, it must have been dream job and everything else. I'd always known it, it's not actually a very nice job in that the, the fans don't love it. Very, very rare that fans love a chairman. When you see the way that some genuine fans have become chairman and ended up being abused, I particularly think about Bill Kenwright, who's a guy that I knew quite quite well, Decent guy. Everton was his life. Everton, you know, he was a real proper fan. He ended up, you know, being advised not to go to the game because people haven't got. How bad is that? You know, it's it's just awful. And some of the people who are chairman of clubs, you know, they're not people I, I want, want to associate with. I always thought the worst thing about being chairman of the club, you have to, some of these people came as chairman, and uh, you know, Ken Bates, who wants to be nice to Ken Bates? <laughs> so it's not a great job. The manager always wants at least two players, two, two players, that's a minimum, probably four or eight. The fans, they want, you decide they want you to get your money out you know they want get your wallet out you know you're talking about now competing with countries and mega wealthy individuals and hedge funds and so on you know no individual can do that and it's not the chairman's fault often whilst you were well when you were you were chairman you're talking about owners of football clubs now we've seen an influx of US owners in the Premier League. What do you think of that? And do you think there's a danger that we could be led down a certain path where we don't want to go in terms of football? Yes. Let me say this about US sport is in general administered very well. I think that they cottoned on quite early to the dangers of gambling. Uh, there was the, you know, the fixing of the uh, uh, baseball in 1919, the Shoeless Jackson case, and, and, and they worked out that you had to be better administered. 
the power in American sport in general lies with the leagues rather than with the clubs. But their sports, they've had commissioners for a long time, which I think is a good idea. The power lies within the leagues rather than the clubs being able to run off. What we had was a situation where the clubs, the big clubs, threatened to run off from our league and break up what was for many years a very successful system. And the Premier League was formed. And you can't knock everything that's gone on in the game sense. Whether it would have gone on anyway, I don't know. But I'm not convinced that football and what it represents probably to to I know to you, Alan, because you are Newcastle, that's your club. You've always felt it's part of your identity. It runs through your DNA and everything. And, and with Gary, it does as well. He's Leicester, like me. Uh, and so on. I'm not sure about Micah. Are you, is your <laughs> club a, a nightclub in Manchester? I'm not sure. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> very good, John. Very good. All right. Um, <laughs> so we are, the, at least three of us anyway, he'll have to reveal his hand in a bit. That's what football represents to us. It's part of our identity. And these people have come in now. And part of this is television's fault because Gary and I are Leicester fans because that's where we went. You were a Newcastle fan because that's, we that's where you were taken. You remember your first game, the experience of going. And in our podcast, you know, a little plug here, Football Ruined My Life, we have talked to lots of people and they all remember that first game uh, where they've been, the experience. And it wasn't actually the football that turned them on. It was the crowd, the pitch, the colours, the atmosphere of the place took you over. Now it's become much more abandoned. And kids will now, because they don't actually go, because they don't get that experience, and because television has taken over, everybody was, they can say, even though they live in London, I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm a Man United fan, and and all around the world people will say, it's one of the successes of the Premier League as it happened, that they're this club or that club fan. What's the attraction of of, of American owners? Why, why are they so interested when actually it's not really one of their sports? They're interested because they see the business model. They see the support that can generate. Even in the 1960s, if you went out uh, abroad, even then, as I did, you could say Bobby Charlton if you went abroad and people knew who Bobby Charlton was, Stanley Matthews, even at that stage. Now, of course, everybody knows which club do you support. You go into the African jungle and you look at these scenes from all these war scenes and famine scenes, there are football shirts there of English clubs. Extraordinary. But, John, we, we talked about the American owners, and surely for you as an, as an agent, it's helped your business massively. The more money that's in the league has obviously helped the, the deals be greater as well. So it's not only just helped the players and the owners, it's actually helped the people who are within the game also, no? Of course. And now the players are rewarded as they should be, like top-class entertainers. Um, still seems to me that actually the people who get the most out of it and the real biggest sums are actually the club owners uh, as they you know, play with assets that they think are worth millions and millions. And uh, I would never begrudge the amount of money that players have made out of it. Neither can I say that uh, it's not been to my financial advantage. Of course it has. I did 
predict that this would happen. I've, I've said all the way through, you know, and people say, you know, when, when it, where Trevor Francis was signed for a million quid, and people say, oh, you know, what an enormous amount that is, and they're not worth it, and all this nonsense. But the progress has been there because the underlying product was so good. And the way it has developed and going to a football match now, it's it's a better experience in many ways. I mean, you, you sit on nicer seats. You've got a better view. Not often do people pee in your pocket. Um, there's all <laughs> sorts of things that have improved. You know, the, the pies haven't improved that much, as I recall. <laughs> you know, the, the, the prawn sandwiches have in the really posh areas, but there are a lot of things that are still scope. But going to a football match is probably a better experience. The hooliganism has been uh, contained to a degree, not entirely. And the standard of play is ex- astonishing now. Uh, the pitches are astonishing. You watch... There's a, this thing, the big match revisited on ITV4, mm. and you watch the pitches they were playing on, and you think, how on earth did anyone complete a pass at that point as the ball went from, you know, bumbled in the air twice and then sunk in a puddle? Now they relay the pitch every other week, don't they? It's much, much better. And the players have better, they're better coached, they have much, much better uh, advice on nutrition, all that sort of thing. But the one thing you have got for the players, which is a danger, is they're all told you're earning enough money now so that you never have to work again in your life. But that's like dying at 35, isn't it? You know, you you you, you then realise, hold on, I've got 40 plus more years to live here. I can't play golf every day all the time. Um, I've got to do something to yeah, to keep myself going. You can't all be managers. So there are a lot of dangers for players now. And they're surrounded, not least by agents who a lot of them, I don't think, care. They're just for the next deal, how much they can make because they're paid by the clubs and not by the player alone. How many players go through their career and have the same agent the whole way through? They've either been ripped off or something like that. A lot of these people, I mean, they say they've got exams and qualifications for it. The, the, this exam that FIFA are doing, 11,000 people applied for the last exam. I mean, 11,000, the bulk of whom came from this country. You've got more bloody agents than you've got players. It's ludicrous. And they're signing them at 12 years old. Was there anyone, any player that you wanted to sign but you couldn't sign? Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer, yeah. Turn me down twice, the bastard. Where's the, what's happened to him? Are you Alex Ferguson in disguise? Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you sort of looked after him, didn't you? Because you, you you merged for a period, didn't you, with Alan's agent? Tony Stevens was your agent. Tony, Tony uh, was a completely different person to me. Uh, very, very different in lots of ways. Very good agent, honourable agent, and did a, did a very good job, but a different style to me. Uh, that didn't matter. You know, certain style suit, certain people and so on. Oh, quickly before you go, you said your style of approach yes. to a player. What was your yes. style? And if I was a player coming through now, I'm 18, I've got the world at my feet. I'm not going to use the word burst on the scene. That is so two years ago. I'm exploded <laughs> on the scene. I'm, I'm scoring goals. I'm doing the absolute... Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> what was your approach? Sell yourself to me. Right. 
what I would say, first of all, my approach was that, that I would take a long-term view. I don't want you to sign a long-term contract. I'm interested in you, your development, your career, not just the next move. You have to weigh up where you are at that moment. Is right. A lot of the time, players move quite young. They move out of their hometown a long way away. Alan was lucky. Alan went all the way from the northeast down to Southampton, probably as a fairly terrified kid. You probably haven't any idea where Southampton was or what they represented and so on. So that worked for you at Southampton, probably because someone at the club looked after you properly. Probably Dave Merrington, was it, or whatever. Dave Merrington. Well, Jack Hickson, yeah, he took me yeah, down there as correct. a scout. Yeah, yeah. There, there were people. And what players require at that stage of their career is actually... A, a mentor, someone who's going to just think with them about all the circumstances in their lives. You know, what sort of family they come from, what the home background is like. These days, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, you get the fathers coming in saying, well, how much money is in it for me? Which is really unfortunate and a situation, you know, is difficult to deal with because the father does have influence clearly over the young player. So I was interested in a long-term view. Well, that was even the case, John, wasn't it? If you go back to me, right, you'd started looking after me because um, Jock Wallace brought you in, the then Leicester manager, um, to talk to players about um, pensions. And that was that first meeting where I just didn't really say anything. And and from there on in, obviously you overlooked my shocking debut, which I I totally agree (laughs) with you. And and we had a meeting. You said you'd, you'd look after me and guide me and, meant to me because you obviously um, saw something and um, f- I think you looked after me for eight years before you took a single penny out of my wages right. or anything yeah. and in 45 years we've we've never had a never had a contract no that's correct that was the way it worked because we developed a, a sort of relationship now tell you the other thing I always used to have these kids come to me I want to be a football agent oh, why do you want to be a football agent I know everything about football so we used to say to them okay Who's the manager of Port Vale? And then they'd go, uh, I don't know that. So I'd say, right, where is Port Vale? And they'd go, uh, up north. And say, well, you don't know everything about football, you see, because you know, all right, you know everything about Arsenal or Liverpool or that, but you're not going to get a player right at the top straight away. You're going to have to find a player lower down the league and work. Look at the job John Morris has done with Jamie Vardy. He's looked after him from when he was a player with Stocksbridge Teals, has gone all the way through. I've great admiration for what they've done. And, I, I, you know, there have been occasions when Jamie could have moved on f- from Leicester. And I think John Morris and what have you, this and no, you can create something there by, you know, stamping your identity, your DNA with Leicester on it. And he's done really well out of that. I think it can make a really, really big difference to a player. I think you look at certain players, I'm not going to name because it would be invidious, to be honest, that have moved to clubs and you've gone, that was not a good move. They've either gone abroad when they're too young or just because it was a, you know, it sounded a good move or what have you. Gary had the chance a year before he moved from Leicester to go to Bari, wasn't it, Gary? They came. Yeah, there. it was, yeah. And do you remember we said, no, it's not, it's not right. And I can remember speaking to your dad and you your dad, who's a brilliant influence, said, it's too early, isn't it, John? And I said, yeah, it is. It's too early. It's not right. And when it came to the Liverpool or Everton thing, I can remember we were weighing it up and 
your dad said to me, what do you think? And I laid out the reasons why I thought Everton at that point, because Liverpool had rushed, it was the year before the World Cup. I did think uh, Gary needed to move at that point from Leicester. I thought the World Cup was the biggest thing out. That's what we were focused on at that point. And we pumped at that point for Everton. And you, you say to me, that was the best move of the lot. Who knows? And your dad said to me, you think that's right? And I said, yes, and laid out the reasons and we did it. So it's it's a mentoring experience and it's a, agents shouldn't have exams in regulations and all that. They should have exams in ethics and intentions, but you can't have those. So that's, I'm afraid that's where it is. Yeah, uh, John, it's, it's been fascinating. Um, I've, obviously, we've, we've, we've spoken many times about all these sort of things um, over the years. This was um, a, a wee bit different, but thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, on behalf of the rest of his football, thank you very much. And um, we'll no doubt speak later. Cheers, John. Thank you. Before I go, can I put in a plug for my son's podcast? Absolutely. It's fans. very good. The Big Strong Leicester Boys. And of course, you remember Football Ruined My Life, which in my case, it didn't. But go there. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. It's been a great pleasure to talk to all of you. Highly recommend both podcasts. I listen to them both. Um, thank you very much, John. Well, that was a little bit different for me, although I've heard him um, talking for many, many years and John can talk. But uh, <laughs> fascinating, no? Brilliant. Some great stories in there. Eh? Some funny ones about Cluffy and, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. No, I just find him fascinating. I just, I just love the fact that Speaking to someone who's been with you for 45 years and their opinions and how things change and his views on things, because a lot of people talk badly about agents and I've had some bad experience with agents, but agents do good things as well. So it's it's nice mm. to hear it from his perspective, which I thought was really refreshing, to be honest. Yeah, he's played a huge part. Um, not just in my football life, but my post-football life. Uh, no question about that. We're all on Match of the Day on Saturday. Three of us together. Back together. The band yeah. is back. The band <laughs> is back together. Lovely. Been a tough week, really, um, Alan, for you. Another competition. God, what? God, 92nd, 93rd minute equalised. Oh, Gary, honestly, I was in the... Um, I know where you were. We were together, weren't we, at the sports yeah. personality. So I didn't see the match, but I was, I, so I was on my phone. Uh, and I was sat behind uh, Andy Robertson. And uh, as you know, we were on stage together for Kenny and his Lifetime Achievement Award. And just before we uh, we got on stage, he showed me his phone from, he just passed his phone back and he had the score on one nil. So I was like, yes, get in, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, of course the night went on and then we uh, we went for a drink afterwards. And um, I'm looking at it 90 minutes and I think it's come up four extra minutes and then we're still winning one nil. And then I put my phone back in my pocket and then it, like I don't know, two or three minutes later, my phone was buzzing, buzzing, vibrating. Right, I'm thinking, oh fuck! Either the <laughs> final whistle's gone, which is great, or they've equalised. And yeah. I picked my phone out and it was one all. I think, oh my god! So I eventually got the game on my phone for the penalties, and god, it was a disaster, wasn't it? Uh, never mind. Such a shame. The, the, the weight goes on. Again. The weight goes on. <laughs> FA Cup. That's all that's left, isn't it? Now <laughs> this season no. again. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, we should actually, oh. while we're on it, um, a victory for football in sports personality of the year as well uh, uh, Mary Earp so I think he's actually a genuinely and I said to her actually for all the stuff on there I said you are a great goalkeeper she really is a good goalkeeper Mary Earp and I was so pleased for her yeah it was great she really enjoyed it so mm. she should you could tell it uh, she had a great night and thoroughly deserved it. lovely person as well though she came on league of her own so mm. I've sort of met her a couple of times and she's just 
passionate. She loves the job. And I think she's going to be a great pundit when she's finished because she has got personality mm. and she's a great, great player um, and fully deserved. Fair play to her. Yeah, big game this weekend. Ooh, the Arsenal! <laughs> Liverpool Arsenal, yeah. yeah. Top two. I hope I hope it's I hope it's better than the big game last weekend, Liverpool Man United, don't you? I'm sure it will be, won't it? Oh, it's it's got to be, isn't it? I mean, every now and again you get one of those games and um don't you the Liverpool Man United where there's so much at stake, sometimes it just kind of peters out and there's too much fear of losing, maybe. I don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. I, obviously, I with with sport, sometimes you get duds, and and that was one. But I think Liverpool Arsenal be um, a terrific game. I'll see you, chaps, on Saturday. See you Saturday. Look forward to it. Yeah. Are you going to uh, bring in anything? I mean, it's two days before Christmas, so are we going to bring anything for the lads? Chocolates or some mulled wine? I've already sent you my <laughs> presents, as you well know. Oh, you've been sponsored for forty years. He's demolished them. He did, did them about half an hour after we finished the other day. I, I, I'll get on to Walker's Micro and get you sent some more. I'm sure they yes, won't mind. Yes, please. They it would be mind. nice. It would they, be nice. They, they won't mind at all. Well, actually, all that's left to say really is that everybody please have a very Merry Christmas. Here, here. All right, Gabby Logan. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? She did, did well, didn't she? She did well, oh, didn't she? God, yes. I was behind stage, but I was thinking that it's it's actually, uh, on, on, on a serious note, for a presenter, it's your worst nightmare. When you've got people shouting in your ear because the program's overrunning. I, I know what you're referring to here, the fact that she had to interrupt. There were two speeches, weren't there, that, where the, there were interruptions because they were, you know, they were long speeches and, and live television television you have to end at a certain time even if you overrun for a little bit and the worst thing for a presenter and I've had it myself is that when you've got the director or the producer or the editor whatever you want to call it shouting in your ear going you've got to get in you've got to interrupt you've got to interrupt we've got we're overrunning and then and and you you would pick your moment I had something like that can you remember when Pelé came I think it was in 2000 the sportsman of the century or something like that and he was getting a special award and he was on the stage and um, and he, he started talking. He went on and on and on and he, and he kept going. And I'm with him in my ear. They're going, you've got to interrupt him. You've got to stop him. We're overrunning. And I'm thinking, there is no fucking way that I am going to interrupt Pele from his speech. I get, and I'm just thinking, no. As a presenter, I think sometimes in those circumstances, you've just got to go leave the problem to someone else. No, because I, it's no, and I just, I refuse to do it. And he went on a little bit and no one can do any. They can't, you know, run on and shut someone up. So just let them, you know, just let them finish. Don't worry about the fact the program's overrunning. Let someone else solve that problem. I think his name was Des Smith, wasn't he? He was telling yeah, all the great guy. work that he'd done and he was yeah. building a pavilion for the for his sports team or club and what have you. And yeah. I mean, he was like so passionate about it and it was brilliant to listen to. But it did go on a little bit and I was sat next to John Bishop. John Bishop looked <laughs> yeah. at me and went, for fuck's sake, he said, they've actually finished the pavilion. Lovely guy. <laughs> Brilliant. And actually, Gabby's timing was brilliant. Perfect. Yeah, she was. got it was like a tackle, wasn't it? Just outside yeah. the box. Boom, bang, Fantastic, in you go. Yeah. Uh, so good stuff. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. We'll um, we'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye from me. Merry Christmas. All the best, everyone. <laughs>